Crazy Diamond is based on the life of a woman living with bipolar disorder 1. It reflects her experiences with this mental disorder. The writer of this story has given me full access to share in hopes that it reaches those who need help and to bring awareness to the disorder. The writer wishes to remain anonymous. The content in Crazy Diamond may be triggering and we recommend the assistance of a medical professional for help and diagnosis. If you or anyone you may know is thinking about suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. In 2017, the universe started communicating with me. The sky glittered. The colors outside were sharper and more defined, like a painting. The universe said that if I found a bridge and jumped off of it into the water below, another dimension of the world would absorb me. My moods went up and down. I ranged from utter mania to severe suicidal depression. So I drank. A lot. Bottles and pints of whiskey laid empty in my closet while I sprawled out in my bed in a drunken stupor listening to the universe whisper in my ear repeatedly that I was special and had been chosen to be alike to a god. I smoked as much marijuana as I could and I even traded sex for it. Both alcohol and drugs made my communication with the other world clearer, and they dulled my ups and downs. One night, I took a knife and I pushed with as much force as I had with every stroke against the skin of my thighs. Blood sprayed everywhere and stained the carpet. The wounds were deep enough for stitches, but I never got any. All I did was proceed to lose my job, my best friend, and my entire hold on what we, as humans, define as sanity. It was only a few days later that I was admitted to an institution, a place that stood on its ground for the sole purpose of curing the psychosis of which had overtaken my entire being. Did they cure me? Is there a fix for the broken mind? There's medicine. There are people for you to attempt to explain your mind's abnormalities too, and there's what they call remission. It's been three years since then, and I'm supposed to be in remission now. But I still can't tell you I've been cured of the teetering my brain sometimes does between sanity and insanity. So I'll just tell you about what it feels like to be stuck in the it the mental illness that you or someone you know has been diagnosed with. I'll tell you what it's like to question your own mind, to wonder if the person you saw in the corner of your eye was a real person. I'll tell you how hard it is to banish the intrusive thoughts and the ever-speaking voices that invade my mind, and maybe yours too. Here is my story. I'm going to write it all down for you to read, and then you can judge me, or celebrate me. Whatever you do, at least you'll finally know the truth of what it's like to lose every touch you've ever had with reality. Perhaps this can serve as a cautionary tale, a guide to warning signs that may present themselves in yourself or in others you may know. Whatever it becomes, I've made peace with it because I'm still here despite it, alive and breathing.
My name is Edith Rose. My last name is something you don't need to know. They said my full name when a judge and a witness committed me into Hillview Mental Institution, but I barely heard any of their words. I was too busy asking the hospital security guard to let me tell him his fortune. I told him I could see the future, that the universe had given me a gift of second sight. I remember him laughing at me as I sat down on the floor of the hospital room and swayed back and forth, with my arms making erratic movements. I have no idea what I told him his future entailed. All I recall is the face he made when I was done with my rantings. It was an expression one might make almost without realizing it toward a person of whom seems to be utterly out of his or her mind. That look on his face stayed with me while I was wheeled into a room and given a colorful pill to swallow. I kept thinking about him when I lay down in that rock-hard bed and how the wrinkles in his face had burrowed so deep within his bronze skin as he stared at me. His eyes had twinkled in a wicked way, like the sinister troll that he was as he observed me use my gift. He was one of them, one of the unfortunates who had not been bestowed with my power, and so who in turn did not believe in its magic. He was just like the men and women in the scrubs who looked down on me with pity in their bored eyes and told me to go to sleep in the dark, cold room which now imprisoned me. I woke in the night, but I was not fully conscious. I couldn't move or speak, but someone was shaking me. A woman. What are you doing? She demanded. Why are you here? She had a good grip on my forearms and shook me harder. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you're doing here. My eyes could barely focus when I finally opened them enough to make out her confused and scared face. She had long, mousy white hair that fell in wisps around her sagging jaw and her puckered, cracked lips. Shadows swept into the room, two of them. They grabbed her on each side of her wide, shapeless body and removed her from the room without a word. I slept. A nurse woke me up sometime around morning but I didn't know what time it was. My head was swimming and my thoughts were racing with the memories of the night before when my own family had me legally committed to rot behind these white walls. You're going upstairs, the nurse said simply, waiting for me to take a seat in the wheelchair she held onto before me. I didn't ask about the strange woman who had woken me in my bed the night before, but instead swung my legs over the edge of the bed and settled myself into the chair meant for me. We made our way to an elevator, and the voices started their rants. She feels like she's trapped, said a woman's voice in my head, resounding within my ears. I rubbed my eyelids and pressed my fist against my forehead. No, she needs to find the other dimension, a male voice proclaimed in response, making me shake my head in annoyance. I had been drunk the night before, and now, in the cold, clear light of day that was absent of my usual alcohol intake, These voices were much more aggravating to me than they had been when booze mostly drowned their incessant bickering out. The nurse was silent as she rolled me through the winding hallways after we exited the elevator. We stopped at a doorway, at last, that looked like the entrance to a prison as she pressed a button beside the large, formidable door. A male nurse answered by opening up and taking charge of my wheelchair. When he looked upon me, It was the first time any of the staff had smiled at me, and he did so with genuine kindness in his tired, blue eyes.
He offered me food, but I refused it. I was 5'6 and 105 pounds, and I'd spent the better part of the year starving myself to get to this weight. I wouldn't give it up for a cold cut and some applesauce. After I'd said no to the meal, the kind nurse, whose name he said was David, showed me to my room. I was alone, no roommate, and I was thankful for that. I slept again, provided with another mysterious pill. I slept so deeply that I almost didn't wake up when one of the nurses turned on my bedroom light and announced, Edith, you have a roommate. I opened my eyes but didn't sit up. I instead studied the despondent, heavy-set girl who plopped down on the bed beside my own. This is Claudette, said the nurse. She then switched off the light and walked out, although not before leaving the door cracked open for round-the-clock checking by both her and the other staff members. There were already cameras in each corner of the room, so I didn't find this action necessary, but I kept quiet nonetheless. I watched Claudette sit up in her bed and stare at the wall. I said, are you okay? She didn't respond immediately, but instead adjusted herself so that she was facing me and said, I just tried to jump off the balcony in my apartment. I want to die. I sat up and leaned my head against my bedpost. Why do you want to die? I asked. Not that I couldn't identify with the way it felt to want to discontinue being a part of the world. I have bipolar disorder, she replied simply. She slid her legs beneath the covers of the bed and rested her head on her pillow. I could just make out her shadow within the light from our cracked door. Bipolar disorder. It made me recall the first time I had been hospitalized. I was 17 and a junior in high school. I remember not sleeping for weeks and ferociously writing poems about death. My mother had eventually suggested I see a therapist and I told the woman I saw that I wanted to commit suicide. As soon as I said the words, she called my mother into the room and recommended that I'd be hospitalized. I was put into an adolescent wing of this same hospital, and after I saw a psychiatrist, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I was prescribed medication, but as soon as I was discharged, I discontinued the medicine, thinking the doctor was all wrong about me and the so-called mental illness he claimed I possessed. I hesitated to respond. I couldn't see Claudette's face, but her voice reeked of hopelessness. I think I have bipolar disorder too, I finally said. Do you want to die? Claudette asked, tossing herself onto her back so that she was now facing the ceiling. Sometimes, I admitted, mimicking her movement. Why didn't you make it off the balcony? My boyfriend came home early, she replied. He saw me climbing the railing, so he called the cops. They brought me here. Bad timing, I guess. I almost offered my apologies to her for her thwarted attempt at suicide. I pictured the bridge the universe had shown me and the other dimension waiting for me beneath it. I understood her to a point. I at least understood what it was like to want to leave everything and everyone behind. She didn't have another place waiting for her like I did, though. She didn't hear the secrets I heard spoken in my head, the secrets which revealed the new connection with the cosmos I possessed. Do you always feel like your thoughts are racing? Claudette asked, folding her hands and lying them atop her chest. Yes, I drink to make it stop, I told her, missing my usually ever-present booze. So do I, 
she said. I don't sleep. I won't feel tired for months and then suddenly I'll shut down and I can't get out of bed. I recalled my own struggle with such mood swings. How I felt like I was flying on a cloud and I would write all night. Then darkness would overtake me later, rendering me completely incapable of even doing the most menial tasks. Do you feel it too? That itch? The feeling that overcomes you and tells you to just get it over with? Just do it. Kill yourself? Claudette laid still and I could tell she was extremely disappointed that her balcony plan hadn't worked. I've felt it, I admitted. I don't want to die, but something, someone tells me to do it. To get out of this world. Do people ever tell you that you talk too fast or too loud? Or is it the opposite, that you speak too slowly, almost slurring your words, she asked. I recalled my mother, father, and younger brother telling me I talk too loudly and too fast. Yes, I replied. It happens a lot. We should be best friends, Claudette said, turning on her side to face me. You know what I'm talking about and no one else does. That should make us friends, right? And you can call me Claude. I hesitated watching a black abyss open before my bed and emit a shadowy stranger at the foot. You have the power, said the shadow. You must find the other realm, the place that will take you away from here. The ghost, or whatever it was, lingered before me. I could only see the outline of his body as he stood before me and then was subsequently sucked back into the black hole he had arrived from. We can be friends. I told Claude, and we talked all night, even though I was dead tired and wanted nothing more than to go to sleep. When she finally said she couldn't talk anymore, apologetically to me, because she was too exhausted, I was incredibly annoyed, because she was the one who'd continued our conversation as the hours had passed by. It was as if she was telling me to be quiet when all I'd wanted to do was to tell her to shut the fuck up the entire time. I didn't say anything, however, and instead turned over and fell back into a deep sleep. When the lights came on, I felt like I'd only slept for a few seconds. The nurses wanted our blood and they brought in a cart full of vials to obtain it. I laid motionless in my bed while they took Claudette's mentally defective blood, all the while searching for the shadow that had appeared to me earlier but was now absent from sight in the fluorescent light of this cold, invaded room. Where was he? I needed to know more about my purpose. I got up and headed for the bathroom to relieve myself. They allowed us to close the door only because half of it was cut off at the top. After using the toilet, I went for the sink to wash my hands and subsequently stared up into the mirror where I was faced with my gaunt reflection. I looked like a ghost of myself and suddenly I was scared. I took a step back and touched the dark shadows beneath my eyes. I was so thin, but how had I not noticed this? Just before being committed, I'd seen myself in the mirror countless times, and I'd always seen nothing but fat that just needed to be lost. How could this be me? All right in there? Asked the nurse from outside the door as she finished up drawing Claude's blood. I didn't know what to do except look away and banish the image of myself I'd just seen out of my mind, at least for the time being. 
Edith, you're next. Then it's time for vitals and breakfast will be arriving shortly after for everyone. I walked out of my bathroom and offered up my arm for the nurse to wrap a tourniquet around. I said nothing while she drew my blood. But I looked up and saw Claude staring at me from across the room where she sat rubbing her assaulted vein. Her eyes were glassy and bloodshot, and her hair was greasy and in auburn tangles about her shoulders. My hair was too short to tangle. I'd been manic and drunk one night shortly before I came here, and I'd chopped it all off so that it now only stuck up in small tufts around the top of my head like a little boy's. I thought I'd like it that way until I saw my reflection a moment ago. Fuck, I needed a drink. Claude and I walked out into the hallway and made our way into a large room filled with tables and other patients. A man came up behind me muttering. His hair was disheveled and he wore the same hospital attire I was wearing that had been given to me upon my arrival in the ER. But his shirt was coming untied in the back and his pants looked like they were about to fall down. You shined like the sun, he said stumbling forward nearly into me. I stepped back and into Nurse David. It's time for your vitals and wait, he said to me, leading me to a scale. I started to step on it, but he put his hand in front of me. Stand facing away from the scale, please, he said. And I could sense that he was a little uncomfortable. I stood for a moment perplexed until I realized these assholes didn't want me to see what I weighed. My mother must have said something about the weight loss that had occurred within the last year, and I couldn't help but feel enraged at David for making me feel like he was actually someone who gave a shit about me. I did as he asked, all the while hating him and every other nurse there who was observing me like a rat in a fucking cage. I then held out my arm and allowed him to take my blood pressure. He muttered a simple thank you after releasing my arm from the cuff and I was directed toward a line of patients who seemed to all be awaiting different medications. When it was my turn, they gave me a cocktail of vitamins and a benzo, then told me I would be seeing the doctor today for further medication instructions. I was glad to walk away and find a seat at a nearby table. Claude sat next to me immediately, and I could feel her gaze on me as I laid my arms on the table and wrapped my head in them. I was thankful for the benzo and hoped it would kick in sooner than later. New here? asked an unfamiliar voice. I felt like telling him to fuck off, but when I looked up at the boy seated in front of me, he had a smirk on his face that told me he really wouldn't care if I told him to get lost. I nodded instead. Welcome to the nut house, he said, motioning to the people around us. I'm Abner. Been here two weeks. What are you like? 17? She's 27, Claude answered for me annoyingly, and I recalled telling her my age the night before and immediately regretted telling her anything at all. I glared at her, but she didn't notice. This is Farah. Abner motioned to a woman in a blue robe who sat next to him. She smiled, but said nothing. She had piercing blue eyes that reminded me of beach blue waters and a beautiful blonde hair that fell below her shoulders in curls. She drummed her long fingers on the table and shifted nervously in her chair. Hi, Farah, I said. 
I didn't even know why I'd said hi to her since I hadn't even acknowledged Abner, but something about her felt comfortable to me. Something about her felt like home, and that's the only way I can describe the feeling she gave me. She looked up at me, and when our eyes met, it felt like love. I smiled, and it was the first genuine smile that I could remember having in months. You're very cute, she said looking me up and down. Like Tinkerbell. We should call you Tink. Abner started laughing. <laughs> yeah, good one, Mom, he said, nodding his head and causing his unruly black hair to bob with it. He looked so young, so innocent. His face was chiseled like a Greek statue's, like someone who'd just come out of a museum portrait. I could tell he was aware of his good looks just by the way he carried himself and by the way he looked at me. If that wasn't enough, I could definitely judge his handsomeness from Claude's reaction to him, as she kept self-consciously touching her hair and had abandoned her staring at me to gawk at him. So what are you in here for? Abner asked as breakfast was wheeled in. Don't worry, they'll give you a big yellow square on your plate and call it an omelet. It's as awful as it sounds, but it looks like you could use a few bites. I was immediately irritated by his comment on my weight, but I ignored the agitation and straightened my back in the chair I was in so I could properly face him. I felt like he wasn't trying to be my friend, like he was almost attempting to flirt with me. I could tell he thought this place was a joke, but I did too, so could I really be that annoyed by his attitude so much to completely ignore him? My family thinks I'm crazy. I finally replied. One of the nurses laid a tray out before me, and sure enough, the giant brick of what was supposed to be an omelet stared up at me from its paper plate. There was some fruit beside it, and I began to pick at it. Are you? Abner asked as he sliced off a piece of the giant egg monstrosity on his tray. Crazy, I mean. I am. I'm just as crazy as they say I am. Schizophrenic. At your service. He shoved the piece of food into his mouth and chewed disgustingly, dribbling bits of egg onto his dirty green t-shirt while saliva gathered slowly in the corners of his mouth. I'm a seer, I said, gathering my composure after witnessing his toddler-like table manners. I can see things. I can see the future, or I can tell what kind of person someone is when I touch them. I'm not crazy. Vera looked at me strangely like I'd just said I'd killed someone. I had heard my words spoken out loud, sober, for the first time in a long time, and somehow I wasn't as confident anymore in the powers I claimed to possess. Are you cold? Vera asked me, her eyes on my hands that I'd laid out on my lap after I pushed my chair back from the table to be away from the food. No, I said, but I looked down and my hands were shaking. No. I'm not cold. I repeated and suddenly I felt an overwhelming sense of nausea overtake my body. Why are you shaking? I heard a voice echo in my ear, the familiar nasally voice of Claude. Edie. She tried to reach her hand out toward me, but I stood up before she could reach me. I, I need the bathroom, I said, abruptly leaving them all and making a break for my bedroom. I stumbled down the hall until I reached my door. Everything was hazy, and I dropped to my knees before the toilet and vomited. My body was shaking, and I was sweating. Fuck this shit, 
was all I could think. I need a fucking drink now. I can't do this. I stood up when I felt like the room had finally stopped spinning, and I washed my face and brushed my teeth so I could get the taste of vomit out of my mouth. I avoided looking in the mirror because I felt like it was some kind of funhouse mirror, that it was manipulating my reflection. Maybe it was a trick the nurses and doctors played on patients, portraying them in trick mirrors to scare them. It had to be. So I just wouldn't look. Edie, are you okay? I heard Claude's voice outside the bathroom door and immediately rolled my eyes. I'm fine, I answered, since I didn't want her to alert any of the nurses. I just needed to use the bathroom. I walked out into the room and she was seated on the edge of my bed. She just pulled her mess of hair into a bun that sat atop her head like a pile of greasy shit. Okay, best friend, she said, winking at me and getting up to check herself out in one of the mirrors we each had on the wall in front of our beds. I think Abner is cute. He might like me, don't you think? She asked as she tightened the hair tie around her newly made bun. Sure, Claude, I said, trying to shed the irritation in my voice. Didn't you say you have a boyfriend? I had only just recalled that she told me her so-called boyfriend was the one who had put her here. Oh, yeah, she said casually, getting up from the bed and moving toward the bedroom door. He's much older. He's completely in love with me. Let's go, I said not wishing to comment on this said boyfriend of hers. Okay, best friend. Group's starting, so you better sit by me, she said as she walked out the door and back down the hallway toward the eating area again. Of course, I responded. I was feeling weak and not in the mood to even be as standoffish as I wanted to be with her. And when we got to the door that led into the lounging area where group was, I leaned against the wall momentarily and closed my eyes. She's losing it, said the woman's voice inside my head. She's already lost everything, said the man's voice. Coming? Claude's voice broke through suddenly, and for once I was grateful. I nodded and took her hand as she opened the door and led me inside where all the other patients sat in a circle on couches or pulled up chairs. I don't know if it's real, I whispered, following her to an empty space on the couch. What? Claude looked at me confused as we sat down and the group leader began to speak. I don't know if any of it's real, I said, but no one was listening. 